One of my favorite authors is Dr. Seuss. I love Dr. Seuss. There's a lot of wisdom in, in his books, a lot of good teaching in his books, and you can read them in a few minutes, and so that's why I like them. Uh, but one of the, the, his favorite books that he wrote was Horton Hears a Who, and I know maybe you've seen the movie, but as always, the book is better. And so in the story of Horton Hears a Who, Horton is an elephant who one day hears a voice on a tiny speck of dust. And so Horton uh, gets a clover and picks a clover and saves this speck of dust, and he goes around protecting this speck of dust from being destroyed. And he's talking to the people in the speck of dust, and they're telling him where they need to go, and so he's, he's out to help them. And as he's trying to help these people on the speck of dust, he starts telling the other animals in the jungle about the people on this speck of dust. And, of course, they think he's crazy, and they don't believe him, and they make fun of him, and they mock him. And it gets to the point where they believe Horton is dangerous, and so they attack him and try to destroy this tiny speck of dust to try to stop him from pushing his beliefs on everyone else. And so the people on the speck of dust, Horton comes to know them as the Who's who live in Whoville. And while they, this speck of dust and this race of people is about to be destroyed, all the Who's in Whoville, they join voices together and they shout so that the other animals in the jungle will hear them. And it's, they're still not hearing them, it's still not happening until finally the tiniest Who in Whoville named Jojo stands up and yells, Yup! And his voice breaks through the speck and the animals hear him and they release Horton and they protect the speck of dust. Now, there's a couple moral teachings in that story of Horton Hears a Who. The first is that we should be kind to everyone even when other people refuse to do so. Uh, not as elephants, but as God's children. We are to be kind to everyone. We talked about this last week. The Bible says, withhold not good to them to whom it's due, but the power of your hand to do it. As children of God, especially people who other people reject or, or other people ridicule or other people are, are, are belittling, we as God's children should be kind and loving to everyone. The second lesson, though, is that the smallest of, of anyone is an important person. Everyone, no matter how big, no matter how small, no matter how much you have talent or how little you're heard, everyone is important. Now you're probably sitting there this morning going, what in the world does Horton, here's a who, have to do with Abraham? We're going to get into that this morning. And our, the, the answer lies in the fact that Horton, Horton heard a voice one day and it changed his life forever. One day, Abraham heard the voice of God, and it changed his life forever. So look at your Bibles in Genesis chapter 15, starting at verse number 1. The <coughs> Bible says, after these things, now of course these things we're talking about is the battle that Abraham had between uh, the, 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 the king, Katie Lomar, and after he had come in and he had destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, he had captured Lot and his family. And Abraham, as a, a shepherd, a, not a warrior in, in any way, shape, or form, but Abraham took 318 of his men who were shepherds, by the way. They weren't soldiers. They weren't Navy SEALs. They were shepherds. 
But he took 318 of these men. He goes and chases King Katie Lomar. He attacks him at night. He wins the victory. He brings back Lot and all of his things. He meets the king of Sodom, and the king of Sodom offers him all the money and says, just give me the people who keep all the money. And Abraham says, I'm not taking anything from you, not the people, not the money, not anything, because I don't want to owe anything to you. Then Abraham meets Jesus Christ. I believe in Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ in the form of Melchizedek uh, in the valley and spends some time with him and tithes him and worships him. And this is an incredible story. So chapter 15 is after all that. So it says, and after these things, those things we learned about last week, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what would thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Now this is a very important part, a point in Abraham's life and his argument with God. Because he's like, God, I came here because you told me I'd have kids. I ain't got none. I'm getting old, God. What's up? That's what he's saying to God. Verse number uh, 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came at him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of, thy, out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou shalt be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed the Lord, and it counted it to him for righteousness. So in Abraham's day, he was just one, really humanly speaking, insignificant person among millions of other people in the world. But God had a plan and a purpose for his life. To God, Abraham was of supreme importance. And we need to understand that today, to God, you are of supreme importance. Every one of us here. A lot of times we can feel kind of insignificant. We can feel kind of useless. Well, I don't have this person's talent, or I don't have this person's popularity, or I don't have this person's authority, or I don't have this person's money. What can I do? What, am I, what good am I to anybody? And God is here to tell you this morning that he has a plan and a purpose for your life, just like he did for Abraham. And to God, you are of extreme importance. So in this passage... Abraham receives a word from God concerning three things. Concerning his fear, concerning his future, and concerning his faith. Now, what he heard changed his life forever. He received this word from God and it revolutionized his life. Of all of our possessions that we have, and you know, we, we all have certain things that are, that are precious to us certain things that are valuable to us. And usually it's not things of great, you know, economical value. Like the most important thing to me is not, well, my car, because it's not worth that much anyway. It's not my house. It's not my bank account. Because again, it's not a whole lot in there anyway. The most important thing to me is my family. It's, specifically, it's my wife. Don't tell me. She's about, why? Because one day the kids, Lord willing, are going to grow up and move away. That's the purpose, to grow them up and get them out of my house. They can come back for Thanksgiving and Christmas and bring the grandkids and that's it. Amen? But 
the most important thing to me, humanly speaking, is, is my relationship with my wife. It's my family. It's these things that we get to enjoy that we can't really put a monetary value on. But really, as a child of God, apart from my salvation, the most precious thing to me should be the Word of God. We, what we have this morning, we have a complete revelation of God's Word to man. And that, that's incredible. That God gave us his word, not, not for us to put in a nice leather binding and make it look real pretty and have it real big and people fancy, but for us to, to read and to study and to cherish and to learn about him and to learn from him and to receive comfort and guidance and direction from. And so the most precious thing to you should be the word of God. And especially today in America, we have such access to the word of God. You know, there are countries all across the world where there are Christians who have never seen a complete Bible. They've never seen 66 books bound together. They maybe get little snippets of Scripture, maybe a John and Romans here or a little a Psalms there, but they, they've never seen the complete Word of God. And if they ever did, man, they, they just cherish it. And we in America, we just we leave it in our car. We forget about it until Sunday. We run around looking for it because we've got to have our Bible go to church. But we, we have it in, in book. We have it on our phones. We have it everywhere. We have incredible access to the Word of God. And it should be one of the most incredible possessions we have. To be able to hold in our hands the complete, perfect revelation of God is a treasure that can't be equaled. And Abraham in his day, he didn't have that. He did, Abraham couldn't study Genesis 15 and say, let me see what God's teaching me today. He was living Genesis 15. Actually, they didn't even have Genesis 15 until, after, until hundreds of years later after Moses. Moses wrote all this because God gave it to him. So, he, he, so to him, in his day, to have God come and speak to him was a treasure. And so in this passage, God had a word for Abraham, but he also has a word for us this morning. So let's hear the words that Abraham heard and see what they teach us about our fear, our future, and our faith. So first of all, let's look at number one, his fear. Look at verse 15, look at chapter 15, look at verse 1 again. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now, Abraham, he just returned from an incredible military victory where he conquered King Katie Lomar and had a great victory. But I'm sure in the back of his mind, he's thinking he's going to retaliate. This king, this powerful king who, who just came into Canaan and destroyed everybody he faced, who came into Canaan and wiped out the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and took them up. And, and he did it because they didn't pay taxes one year. I'm sure Abraham's thinking he's going to retaliate against me. And I'm, not a, I'm not a great nation. I'm just a shepherd who's got 300 you know, herdsmen to help me guard my sheep and my goats. So he probably feared that this king would retaliate and attack him. So God gives him a word of comfort to help him with his fear. First of all, we see that God tells him, fear not, but we see that there is a peace that comes from knowing God. This phrase right here, fear not, it's right here in Genesis 15, 1, it's the first time it's ever mentioned. But it's not the last. Over 330 times in the Bible, after this time, 
God tells us, fear not. And each time, it's during a time of, 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 of fear or anxiety or turmoil. There's a, there's a child of God who's got some anxiety or some fear or some trepidation. They're not sure what's going on. And every single time, God comes to them and says, fear not. He comes to Hagar when she's got her son Ishmael. He's under a bush and she's watching him die and she has no idea what to do because they're in the desert. They have no food. They have no water. And she's scared and she's confused and she, she doesn't know what's going on. And God comes to her and says, fear not. He, he comes to, to Isaac after the death of Abraham. And Isaac is, is not sure what's going to happen. He's not sure what's going to go on. He's not sure how God's going to work in his life. And God comes to Isaac during this, this time of transition, this time of fear, and says, fear not. He comes to Jacob as he goes into Egypt to see Joseph. And Jacob, he's, he's not sure what's going to happen either. He's leaving the promised land to go down to Egypt. And he, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know what God's going to do. And he, is this really God's will? Man, when my grandfather Abraham went into to Egypt, it was bad. And so should I really be doing this? And God comes to him and says, fear not. Every time God comes and tells someone to fear not, there are two things in common. First of all, First thing when God tells them to fear not is God is the only one who could give them the peace that they needed. You know, it's like when, you know, when you're talking, when you and your wife are having a, husbands and wives don't fight, I know that. You're having a strong conversation. You ever, you know, your wife's kind of getting a little agitated and you ever said, calm down? That ever work? Never in the history of mankind has a husband told a wife to calm down that she calmed down. Doesn't happen. We don't have the authority to do that. So, and even with April, you know, sometimes she'll have some, some times where she's unsure and she's anxious, like, are we sure that's what we're supposed to do? What's going to happen here? And I can tell her all the time, hey, hey, honey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But I can't give her the comfort that God can when God comes to her and says, fear not. Because God's in control. And when the creator of the universe who controls everything, tells you, don't worry about it, I've got it. You don't have to worry about it because God's going to take care of it. But the second thing, not only is God the only one who can give them that reassurance, God only says that to his children. Never one time in Scripture did God come to an unsaved man and say, fear not. Never one time did God come to someone who wasn't his child and say, don't worry about it, you got nothing to worry about? Because they do got something to worry about. They got hell to worry about. So they got to get saved before God says, hey, now that you're my child, fear not. What this is telling us is the peace that we need to get through the difficulty. Because look, fearful times come to all of us. Every one of us are going to have situations in life. And you know, we can say, well, the Bible says be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. That's great to say, but when the doctor comes to you, you still got some anxiety. When the bills can't get paid, you still got some anxiety. When things aren't going the way you think they should go, you still got some anxiety. So it's, it's great to say, hey, the Bible says be anxious for nothing. Great, but I still got some anxiety. The peace that we need only comes through God and only comes as we know him. So when God's children have time of anxiety, and fear and trepidation, it's because they don't know him enough. They've not spent enough time with him. They've not studied his word enough. They've not 
trusted in him enough that when God comes to them and says, hey, I've got this, they can say, okay, well, God, God's got it. God's in control, so I have nothing to fear. We only receive that through having faith in God. The only thing, see, the only thing to combat fear is to have faith in God. See, Satan's goal is to make us fearful. You know, the Bible says that he's like a roaring lion, seeking out who may devour. You know what roaring lions do? They scare you. You're in the jungle at night, and you hear a lion roar. Well, they don't really live in the jungle. Africa, you're in the, the, the Serengeti, and you hear a lion roar. You're, if you're smart, and you're not in a, you know, cage, you're probably like, where's that? I got I to gotta pay attention to where that lion's at, because it causes fear. The devil wants to make you afraid, because fear is the opposite of faith. Faith is saying, God, I don't understand it. I don't like what's going on. I don't, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you. And I believe everything's going to be okay. Fear is saying, God, I don't know what's going on and I don't trust you. I'm, I'm scared because I'm unsure of what's going to happen. We have to have faith in God. The only thing to combat fear is to have faith in God and that only comes through knowing him. That only comes through walking with him. So we see the peace that comes from knowing God. Secondly, we see the protection that comes from knowing God. Look again at what, Abra what God tells Abraham. It says, Abraham, fear not. Why, can't, why does he have to fear? I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. See, Abraham had no reason to fear attacks from the enemy because God just told him, Abraham... I'm going to protect you. He told him in, when he was in Ur of the Chaldees, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going to protect you and provide for you. And do it. So when God comes and says, Abraham, Abraham, I know you're scared of the King Cody Lomar, but don't worry, I've got your back. I'm going to protect you. Nothing, here's what God is telling us today. Nothing will come to you that God doesn't use for your good. <clears throat> nothing's going to hurt you that God doesn't allow. Nothing's going to come to you that God doesn't use to mold you into his son. <clears throat> See, God was around Abraham, and he was providing protection. When we are God's children, we are sheltered by him all the time. The Bible says in Psalms 46, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will we not fear? Because God is protecting us, there's no reason to fear. God's our shelter. God's our fortress. God's our protector, and we have nothing to fear from anything else. But we don't understand that until we grow in our knowledge and relationship with God. And as we grow in our knowledge of God, as we grow in our fellowship with God, we lose our fear because we learn to have faith in Him. That is, a life, that is living a life of faith, understanding that no matter what comes your way, God is protecting you. See, God will not allow anything to come to us that he's not going to use to shape us into the image of his son. Any pain, any hurt, any trials, they're not meant to hurt us, they are coming, but they are coming from the hands of a loving God who is going to use them for our good and for the best in our life. There's protection that comes from knowing God. But thirdly, we see that there's a prize 
that comes from knowing God. He says, I'm your shield and thy exceeding great reward. Abraham, he, he left his home 10 years ago. He left his home. He left his family. He left his business. He left everything he knew to follow God on the promise that God was going to give him the land of Canaan and God was going to give him a whole bunch of kids. It's been 10 years since God came to him and those promises have not yet been fulfilled. He's in Canaan, yes, but there's still enemies there. There's still other nations there that are living there. And so it's, he's in Canaan, but Canaan isn't his. And he has no kids. And he's 85 years old. And he's like, God, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. You told me 10 years ago I'd have a bunch of kids, but I've got, I've got nobody. I don't, and Sarah's not expecting anytime soon. So he, he begins to doubt and to fear. Not only did he give up a land to follow, not only give up a lot to follow God 10 years ago, but he also gave up a fortune when the king of Sodom offered it to him. Now, God comes to him and reminds him, says, Abraham, I'm your shield and I'm your exceeding great reward. You know what God is telling him? He said, Abraham, if you have me, you've got everything you need. If you've got a relationship with God the Father, there's nothing else we have to have. No earthly good can compare to heaven with God, to eternity with God. Nothing on earth can compare to God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, God's salvation, God's forgiveness, God's presence, God's peace, and God's power. There is nothing this world can offer that can compare to the hope that we have in God, to the heaven that is waiting for us. And so when we have a relationship with God, even if things aren't going the way we think they should go, if we have God, we've got everything we need. There is a, a prize for having faith in God. So he said not only his fear. Secondly, let's look at his future. Look at verse number two. <coughs> and Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying... This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. So Abraham is concerned about the promises that he's received. He, he's not doubting, but he's asking some honest questions. And he's saying, God, you know what, you, you, you told me. I'd have, you know, some kids by now, but I don't have any. And Lord, I'm, I'm getting kind of old, and Sarah's, she's old too, God, and it's seeming pretty impossible right now. And Lord, I'm not, I'm not saying you, you lied, but God, I just, I don't see it. I don't understand what you're trying to do. And it's okay to come to God with some honest questions like that. You know, God tells us to cast all our care upon him. God wants us to come and to seek his face. God uh, wants us to bring our burdens to him. So Abraham knew to take his burdens to God. And when he did, he received the answers that he needed. And God's answers always bring hope to the believer. So first of all, let's look at his future and see the simplicity of God's promise. Look at verse number four. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying... 
This shall not be thine heir. He says, you know, Lord, you, you promised me all these kids. All I've got is this Eleazar, the man. He's going to be the heir. He's going to receive all my stuff when I die because he's the heir. I've got no kids. I don't know what's going to go on. And so God tells him, this shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. God's promise given to Abraham was given in the simplest way possible. There was no way for Abraham to misunderstand what God was saying. God reminds him of the original promise and he assures him that his heir will be his very own son. See, God's promises, all of God's promises are given to us the same way. God's word is clear when we read it correctly. Now, man, look, man messes it up. Churches mess it up, religions mess it up, but God's word is clear. God doesn't want us wondering what he means. All his children, as his children, we need to take God at his word and believe all he tells us without question. See, God blesses those that have childlike faith in him. The Bible says in Psalms 116, the Lord preserveth the simple. Now, the word simple there is the Hebrew word pethy, and it means naive or childlike. It's childlike faith that please God. We see this in the New Testament. One day in the New Testament, Jesus is, is healing some people, and people are coming to him to be blessed, to be healed. And a bunch of kids are coming to him to try to, try to get to Jesus. And as the disciples are keeping him away. Keep those kids away from Jesus. They're sticky, they're smelly, they got lice. Keep them away. And so they're trying to keep the kids away from Jesus. Jesus sees it and rebukes them. And he says, Suffer the little children. And forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. See, what childlike faith is, is believing God at his word, even if it makes no sense whatsoever. It's as an 85-year-old man saying, God, you promised me a kid of my own. Makes no sense. Seems impossible. But God, I believe you. You said it's going to happen. You didn't say when. You didn't say, you know, what, what day you had to have this kid. But, Lord, you said I would have the child, so I believe you. I trust you. So we see the simplicity of God's promise. Secondly, we look at the future. Look at the sovereignty of God's promise. Again, verse number four. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And then verse 5, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward the heaven and tell the stars, if thou shalt be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. See, God's promise here said something bigger about God's power. Again, Abraham is an old man. He's well past the day, the time, when most men start thinking about starting a family. Anybody here 85 years old or around that age? Anybody here? Or older than 85? I know we got a couple older than 85. Y'all thinking about having kids? <laughs> no. You're like, oh, oh I did that. I've, I've done my time. I'm done. My time for that is over with. Most people 85 years old don't think, you know what? I think, I think we should settle down and start having some kids, baby. I think we should start settling down and find a retirement home, baby. What we ought to do. But so he's an old man, past the time of starting a family, and God's promise is designed to overcome the laws of nature. God's promise is designed to do what man says cannot be done. We need to remember that our God is a God that is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. 
We serve a God who can speak the universe into existence. We serve a God who can part Red Seas. We serve a God who can do anything that God wants to do. And if God gives us a promise, it is as good as already done. You know, before we exercised a little bit of faith we had to trust God as our Savior, God had a plan already in motion and is working out His will through His power in our life. We serve a God that can do anything he says he's going to do. We see the sovereignty of God's promise. And thirdly, let's see the size of God's promise. Again, verse 5. And he brought him forth and abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou shalt be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Abraham was worried about having one heir to give his fortune to. And God tells him, I'm going to give you so many heirs, you're not going to be able to count them. Your heirs, you can't even number the stars. You won't even be able to count them. God wanted Abraham to know he was about to receive a blessing so big, it was going to blow his mind. We serve a God of abundance. We serve a God that wants to do more in our lives than we could ever imagine. If we could truly understand that, it would revolutionize our prayer life and it would revolutionize, revolutionize our faith. God is not enough us. God is more than enough for us. God is more than we could ever need. He's not interested in just doing the ordinary in our lives. He wants us to be amazed at his power when he comes through. He wants to blow our minds with how powerful he is. He's all we have. He's all we need. And he's more than enough for us in every situation. So we see Abraham's fear. We see his, his future. Then we see his faith. I don't know why this thing keeps skipping ahead. Look at his faith in verse number 6. And he believed in the Lord, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So God comes to him and says, hey, old man, I'm not just going to give you one kid. I'm going to give you so many kids you can't even count the stars. And Abraham believes him. And because Abraham believed God, he received the righteousness of God on his account. It's one of the simplest Yet greatest verses in the Bible, it tells us about Abraham's faith. What it teaches us about his faith should be true about our faith as well. So first of all, let's look at the direction of his faith. Why does it keep blowing up? All right, I'm just going to leave them all three up there. You see the three points. The direction of his faith. The Bible says that Abraham believed in God. That word in tells us a lot about his faith. Abraham had moved from hearing the word of God and believing the promises of God to having complete and total faith in the one who gave the promise in the first place. He doesn't just believe the word of God, he believes God. It's one thing to believe what the Bible says about God and his promises, it's another thing to accept his word as absolute truth. To say, if God said it, I believe it. Accepting God's promises and God's word as absolute truth changes not just what we believe, but how we live. Because we trust in God. We see the direction of his faith. Secondly, let's look at the depth of his faith. Abraham had deep faith. He believed God despite the obvious obstacles. God's not coming to him as a young man, saying, hey, Abraham, you have a bunch of kids. He comes to him as an old man. I'm sure that those around him thought he was foolish for believing God would give him a child at his age. 
But his faith pleased God. Look, the only thing we can do to please God is to have faith in God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Our faith in God should be unwavering no matter how impossible it may seem. Then thirdly, we see the dividend of his faith. Faith in God always pays off big, and Abraham was no exception. When Abraham believed God, God erased Abraham's sin and applied his own righteousness to Abraham's account. See, when God looked at Abraham, he saw him as righteous. But it wasn't because of anything Abraham did. It wasn't because Abraham was such a great guy. Abraham, we're going to find out in a couple weeks, still made some pretty stupid mistakes. He still messed up. He still sinned. But when God saw him, he saw his righteousness on his account. Not because of anything Abraham had done, but simply because he trusted in God's promises. And that's what salvation is. Salvation is a work of faith, and we put our faith in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection as payment for our sins. We receive God's righteousness in place of our sins. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might, might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, what Paul is telling us is Jesus came, and he took our sin and gave us his righteousness and all we have to do is to trust in him. Say, I trust that Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is all I need to pay for my sins and give me eternity with God in heaven. Abraham was not saved by keeping the law. He was saved by putting simple, childlike faith in God's promises. And that's how we're saved this morning as well. So you'll probably live your whole life and never hear a voice coming from a speck of dust. I hope so, at least. If you hear voices coming from a speck of dust, please go see a, a professional, a mental health professional. So you'll probably never hear a voice coming from a speck of dust. However, I do know that God has a word for your life this morning. Abraham heard a word from God, and he believed that word of God, and it changed his life forever. So I wonder... Has the Lord spoken to you in some need in your life this morning? Is there some battle you're facing that you need peace about? Is there some struggle you're going through you need God to take away the fear and give you complete trust in him about? Is you need to increase your faith in your walk with God this morning? Is there some storm you need calmed? Is there some area of your life where you need a sovereign God to move in? Has your sin been dealt with biblically? Are you saved this morning? Are you walking in the perfect will of God this morning? This morning, as Miss Treat begins to play, if the Holy Spirit spoke into your heart, God's given us this altar to come and talk to Him and do business with Him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for the day you've given us. We do thank you for the word that you gave to Abraham. Lord, so many years ago and telling him to fear not. To not worry about the circumstances and the trials and the burdens of life, but just to have complete and total trust in you. And Lord, that's, that's easy to say, but Lord, it's, it's hard to do. So Lord, this morning as, as we, Lord, close out this, ser this sermon, I pray that you would help us to, Lord, increase our faith in you.
to, Lord, trust in you and get rid of the fear so we can walk in faith with you and receive the blessings that you've promised to us. And, Lord, I also pray that if there be one here this morning that, Lord, they're not saved. Lord, they're not 100% sure that they have you as their Savior. Lord, if they died today, they don't know they'd be with the Lord in heaven. I pray that today would be the day they stop running from it, they stop doubting, but they put their faith in you and trust you as their Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, that's all standing together as Miss Trudy begins to play. If you're here this morning, you say, Preacher, I'm saved and I know it. I'm a Christian. If I died right now, I know for sure I'd be with the Lord in heaven. If that's you this morning, Miss Trudy, Preacher, I'm saved and I know I'm saved. Amen. You can put them down. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, Preacher, I couldn't raise my hand. Because the fact is, I don't know. I hope I'm saved. I think I'm saved. But, you know, I've got some doubts about it. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I've put my faith and trust in Jesus as my Savior. That's you this morning. Preach, I'm not saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. Let me see your hands. Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm a Christian. Amen. Christians, if you've got God, you've got a relationship with Him, you've got everything you need in life. And God tells us to, to not fear, but to have faith in Him. That's easy to say, but it's hard to do. So this morning, as she continues to play, if the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart, maybe you need to come to God and say, Lord, help me to increase my faith. Help me, Lord, to trust you more. Lord, take away this fear in my battle. As she continues to play, if the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart, come forward and talk to the Lord today.